Hello and welcome to Leanne Ward Nutrition, a podcast where you will find expert advice on all things health and nutrition related. Each week, we will discuss my three niche areas of gut health, emotional eating and sustainable fat loss. My hope for this podcast is to cut through the BS online and show you real, practical and evidence-based messages around nutrition so you can live your best life day in and day out. So sit tight, buckle up and let's get started on today's podcast. Welcome back to part two of the podcast with one of Australia's leading sports dietitians, Jessica Spenlove, who has an impressive resume, including a Bachelor of Nutrition Science and a Master's of Nutrition and Dietetics at the University of Sydney. Jess currently works with many professional sporting teams across Australia, including the Greater Western Sydney Giants, the AFL team, the Giants Netball, the Super Netball, the Western Sydney Warriors in A-League, the Cronulla Sharks in NRL, the Sydney Kings in NBL, and most recently, the New South Wales Waratahs in super rugby. In today's podcast, Jess and I chat all things supplements and what better expert than Jess herself to discuss supplementation. We break down the supplements with the evidence and the science behind them to back them and where and when they should be used. We start with the most common supplementation, protein powder, and then we move on to discussing caffeine, followed by leucine, beta-adalanine, branched-chain amino acids or BCAAs, omega-3 fatty acids or fish oil, collagen, and finally creatine. Now, as always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and please share this episode to your Facebook or Instagram stories so your friends and family can listen to it and learn as well. And finally, if you could take 30 seconds out of your day to leave me a positive rating or review, it would mean the absolute world to me. Now, let's get started on our chat about supplementations with Jess. Welcome back, Jess, to our second podcast. The first one we did together was on improving energy and preventing illness. It was a wonderful episode. So if you guys haven't heard Jess's um, podcast with that one, please go back and listen to that first. And today we've brought back Jess. She's an incredible sports dietitian to talk all about supplementation. There's, you know, supplementation is a massive buzzword. So we're going to pick our brains about um, the top six key supplements that we want to have a chat about today. So Jess, welcome back to the podcast and thank you for for giving us your, your expertise again. Thanks for having me back Leanne appreciate it can't wait to uh, chat all things uh, supplements and performance yes so my first question for you is how much benefits do supplements actually provide us from just a normal everyday person who might exercise a couple of times a week right up to like some of the elite top level Australian based athletes that you're working with at the moment um, yeah look supplements can definitely have a, uh, a performance benefit it's hard to put a like a, a percentage on it but um, to be perfectly honest it is still only going to ever be that very um I guess icing on the cake or tip of the iceberg style situation and and if the foundational principles of the the eating and the the nutrition and the fueling in and around training and the recovery and hydration and sleep and all those things we've spoken about and you've spoken to other people about if they're not happening how they need to um the effect of the supplement isn't going to be at its maximum or potentially at all so look for anybody and everybody um it's not an absolute must but there there certainly might be a couple of key ones that we cover off today that people might think yep I want to add this into my routine because I'm doing a lot of these things correctly and I just want the convenience or I want something that's going to help take my body or my training to that next level um but yeah look they're only ever going to be those I guess few percent when everything else is happening um how it needs to 
Mm, love it. So really, um, in terms of key performance nutrition principles, before we dive into supplements, um, what are your key principles in terms of performance and living your best life um, without the use of supplementations or if we're trying to build that strong foundation, what do people need to focus on first before they even think it looking in the direction of supplementation? So I've got a, f- yeah, a few kind of principles or pillars or whatever you want to call them there which people need to kind of check in and make sure that they're um, nailing before we even look at supplements so the first one is a bit of a mindset around fueling for the work that you are going to do so we kind of touched on this a little bit in the previous one but it's getting that matching of your intake and I guess in particular your carbohydrate in and around your training session so making sure you're going in fueled for whatever it is you're going to do which will be adjusted based on the type of session and your goals. But so often, um, I guess, as we said, like people are going in underfueled or not fueled and then maybe over consuming later on or having this massive energy dip. So yeah, number one is fuel for the work you're going to do, mm-hmm. which means before the session rather than after it. Um, tip number two is looking at all things protein. So um, consistently consuming it, having good quality amounts and kind of having small frequent hits as opposed to um, infrequent amounts. So small or none at breakfast, which is that kind of typical uh, westernized diet. Um, And then, you know, big portion at lunch and dinner and not much at snacks. So really looking at trying to get that 20, 25, 30 grams, generally speaking, some people will be a bit more um, at most of those meals and snacks, which really helps from an appetite, from a, a I guess an energy um, point of view, because if our appetite's in check, we're, we're thinking about food less and we're going into the meal in a controlled um, sense. And it often leads to, I guess, more controlled eating as opposed to snacking or starving or overeating or eating really quickly. So um, feel for the work you're going to do, all things protein. Um, third thing is all the color. So I like to have these little rules or sayings. And um, one of my most popular are, if a meal or snack is only brown and white, it's not complete. And all that means is there's no (laughs) nutrient um, diversity or adequacy there. So all the colorful stuff, your fruits and your veggies, in particular, your salads and your your vegetables, we're wanting to make sure there is a a place and a space for them at every single meal and snack. So they're going to give you nutritional adequacy. They're going to give you your fiber, which helps fill you up. And they're also the foods that make you feel good from the inside out. So yeah, that's my kind of third principle. And then the fourth one, um, I won't go into too much because we covered it off in the other one, but hydration. So Mm -hmm. being in a hydrated state, um, replenishing your fluids, um, making sure that you're kind of consistently taking in water across the day and um, personalizing it to your own requirements, whether that's you as a human, like male, female, five foot three versus six foot one, um, whatever that might be. And then also your training and um, and how frequently you're, you're, you're exercising. So yeah, they're my four key performance nutrition principles for everybody. Awesome. So unfortunately, a little pill or a little bit of powder just isn't going to cut it. If you really do want to change your lifestyle for that permanent fix and really feel amazing, you've got to focus on the four key pillars that Jess mentioned at an absolute minimum before you go and waste money and throw money at different types of supplements and that sort of thing. No matter how much other people or other brands or athletes promote them, you've got to get the foundations right first. That's exactly right. Yeah. 
Wonderful. Well, the first one and probably the most widely known and recognized and used one I'd like to talk about is protein powders. So I want to get your thoughts around whey and um, plant-based or vegan-based protein powders, how and when they might be appropriate for people to use. Um, Obviously, we always recommend whole foods first, but as you mentioned, um, it is really difficult, particularly in the morning, for people to get a good source of protein in, unless you're going to sit down to three eggs on toast, which You know, we don't generally recommend three eggs every single day anyway, but most people just don't have the time to do that. So using something like a protein powder just to supplement your breakfast is a is a great recommendation, isn't it? And again, we don't use it as a whole food source. We use it to boost the protein content within a meal, don't we? Yeah, that's exactly correct. So you hit the nail on the head there. It can be a convenience piece. Um, It can be a way of you enjoying your cereal-based or oat-based breakfast, but making sure you're getting um, the good amount of protein that you need that we've we've discussed around that kind of 20-ish grams because it can be quite difficult to meet that um, without maybe topping it up with, with a little bit of protein powder, like you said, if you're not having eggs every single day and how many of them. So there's definitely a convenience piece there. Um, I guess the second layer to that is the type of protein and obviously plant-based diets are on the rise, very popular at the moment. I mean, there's so much positive about it like eating more vegetables eating more legumes um, better sustainability for the environment that's all great and it's never going to be a bad thing but I guess I'm seeing a lot of people steering away from um, a whey protein or some really good kind of animal-based products like dairy when they actually like it or they would actually benefit from including you know a little bit of both I, I, it's humans are so interesting you know we're so all or nothing and it's kind of like well what's the what's that happy medium we don't have to go from how we, we're comfort, quite comfortable eating to excluding a lot of things and, and completely plant-based. So um, a few differences, I guess, with your whey versus your vegan-style protein. So whey protein isolate is what we would call gold standard. So in terms of the quality of um, the protein, the amino acid profile, um, it is the richest in kind of the king of all of the amino acid leucine, which Um, we know is the main kind of amino acid which triggers that optimal strength and and muscle gains and and recovery. So um, your muscle protein synthesis, it's kind of the the main communicator there. And and that's really the difference between um, your whey-based proteins and then some vegan ones. They're either low or they don't contain it. So um, that is something to look out for. With your vegan um, proteins, you can get ones which combine a few different uh, plant-based options, which then make it a complete profile, um, and then make it more similar to what a whey protein is. So a rice and a pea protein, um, together gives you that 22, um, amino acids, which a whey naturally contains. But yeah, we do really want to look for leucine and we do want to have about that two to three grams per serve. So that's definitely a tip to look for. If you are someone who prefers to use a plant-based protein um, or you just kind of have a happy medium and go, you know, a little bit away and, and a little bit of plant-based, that's what you, you really want to look out for there. But pea and rice would be my recommendation in that space. Definitely. Um, and do you have any sort of um, research or thoughts around with some of the plant-based proteins um, with the other uh, rice, I guess, type protein, some of the, the metals in there can be quite um, quite large, kind of depending on where the protein powder has come from and that sort of thing. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that really can be across the board with any protein powder or supplement. So they've, mm-hmm. they've, there's some studies out there which have looked at um, servings. So um, I kind of digress here a little bit, but in the uh, the Game Changers documentary and the, the strong guy who um, is plant-based and um, 
someone told me that they looked into his diet and he was having nine protein shakes a day. And with, I mean, that amount of supplementation is, is quite scary because um, it can come with a risk of heavy metals. And um, uh, that's one thing that they have definitely found that heavy metal kind of toxicity or, or, or poisoning is at an increased risk above two to three serves. So mm. if someone's having more than two to three, I mean, Hopefully no one is having that, but um, if they are for whatever reason, maybe see a sports dietitian or a, a accredited practicing dietitian to discuss dietary ways to look at getting that intake because um, there can definitely be kind of heavy metal poisoning or toxic levels of certain, yeah, um, yeah, poisonous kind of substances. So definitely not something we um, want to happen. Mm, it is a little bit scary, isn't it? And probably, I guess, just to reinforce the really important thing you mentioned about plant-based proteins is looking for that two to three grams of leucine per serve. So a lot of people will reach out to me on social media and say, you know, I'm not having dairy at the moment for you know, it might be an ethical reason or something, which is completely okay. And I'm saying, you know, make sure that you're having um, your leucine, you know, post-workout. And they say, well, I put a, a spoon of, of um, vegan protein powder into my smoothie or into my oat bowl or something. But for the majority of protein powders that are vegan based, you really do need that 40 grams. Like I've seen, it's the majority of brands across the board that I've really looked into and investigated that it's at least 40 grams of that vegan based protein to get that minimum of two to three grams of leucine in. So it's not just that you're putting a little bit of protein powder in your breakfast and it's okay. You really do need to read the nutrition label on the back of the packet and aim for that maximum amount of leucine, which is, as just mentioned, that switch to flick on that muscle protein synthesis which is really going to help with recovery and repair and muscle growth as well. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, So I guess get get educated in this space, Um, guys, ask questions. It's great that people like Leanne are out there making this information available to the greater public in an easy-to-digest form as opposed to just complex, you know, scientific articles because um, I guess when you're comparing different proteins, um, you know, an apple isn't an apple or a protein powder isn't a protein powder. So there's definitely differences. But in saying that, it's really exciting that we're in a a day and age where you can kind of choose how you want to eat and you can still get the results that you want. It's just with a few little tweaks, maybe gram amounts, maybe the style of protein that you're having, the the blend, et cetera. Absolutely. Yeah. So there's absolutely nothing wrong with dairy. If you like the taste of dairy, if you enjoy eating dairy, that's absolutely fine. A a whey-based protein is a protein powder we do call superior purely because of the amino acid profile. And you're getting more bang for your buck. You're getting more protein for lesser calories. And for a lot of people using protein powders, their goal is some sort of weight loss or body composition change. So that is why you'll find the majority of sports dietitians do recommend whey, but a plant-based protein is absolutely okay but you do need to do some research and read the back of the label, guys. Now, Jess, I'd love to pick your brains about the next one that people ask me about all of the time, BCAAs. So I'm sure that you see people in the gym or your athletes just, you know, drinking them throughout the day, just sipping on them constantly. Um, And probably the biggest thing I want to point out to people at home is, you know, a lot of people who are dieting will just sip on them constantly throughout the day. A lot of like bikini competitors, that sort of thing. And you've got to remember that even BCAAs do contain a small amount of energy. So if you're sipping on you know, cups and cups of them throughout the day, it is contributing to your energy budget as well. BCAAs are not, um, they're not calorie free. Yeah. I mean, really great point to, to highlight there, Lee. And there's, there's so much to say in this space. Um, <laughs> I'm kind of like, where do, where do I begin? Just work my way through it. Um, I guess the first point is they're not absolutely essential for every single person who's going to the gym or trying to get a body composition mm-hmm. change to be having, um, 
some branched-chain amino acids in a training session um, or before. So depending when you're training, if you're getting, if you're an afternoon or an evening trainer and you're having a a snack in the afternoon um, or or even lunch before if it's within a few hours and you've got a good hit of protein there, well, your body is actually um, breaking down the amino acids as we just discussed in that last one and it's circulating around your bloodstream. So you actually are getting it from your food, which is always going to be, I guess, that preferred um, option. So if yeah, you're someone that has a, a pre-training snack with a bit of protein and you have a recovery shake or meal or snack or, or whatever after, and your goal is just to, to train and you're, you're training for um, your fitness, maybe a little bit of weight loss, a little bit of muscle gain, probably not um, essential by any means. Um, I guess if you're somebody who's training in the morning in a fasted state um, or you've got like a tight energy budget, having um, some BCAAs before training or during might be a way to give your body a little bit of those essential amino acids, in particular that leucine, which might have a bit of a protective effect, um, but it doesn't come at the energy cost of, say, a snack or a, a more complete protein powder, which is going to have more of a an energy budget. And I know you had a really great chat and a previous um, podcast, which I listened to and absolutely loved. Um, and um, that was gone into, into a lot more detail there. But, yeah, I guess not for everybody and not essential, but there are some instances or circumstances where they might um, be beneficial. But, yeah, that's kind of few and far between. In, in, in my books, I'm always going that, that food-first snack and recovery meal approach for most people, which does the job um, more than adequately. Absolutely agree. And Jess is referring to the podcast with um, Dr. Stacey Sims. We really did talk about um, some of the um, branched-chain amino acids and where they might be appropriate for people on tighter energy budgets. Um, and also she was talking about um, in the podcast with Dr. Stacey how um, the BCAAs can cross the blood-brain barrier, reducing that fatigue and that sort of thing throughout the workout. So it definitely is a podcast to um, go and check out. Um, it was train like a girl. I forget what number it is, but just go back through the podcast and you'll find it. It's absolutely essential that every female listen to that one. It's a, it's a wonderful podcast. Oh, I loved it. I think I'm actually, I've referred it uh, to a few of my female athletes actually, or just mm. friends in general. It was very much a, everybody needs to listen to both of these um, episodes. They were, I loved it. She was an incredible wealth of knowledge. Yeah. Mm, couldn't agree more. I learned some things. Yes, <laughs> so did I. Many, many things. <laughs> now, Jess, um, caffeine, we did talk about this a little bit in the previous um, in the previous podcast. Now, a lot of people might say, well, I don't drink coffee. What could my, my what could my options be? So firstly, what's the benefit of having some caffeine um, in terms of our workouts? And if somebody doesn't like coffee, um, what are some other options? I'm hoping that they don't turn to Coca-Cola as an alternative. <laughs> yes, let's, let's not under any circumstance ever think <laughs> That when we're talking caffeine, we're talking Coca-Cola. Um, <laughs> to be honest, to be honest, caffeine for, for anybody, um, for the average gym goer, myself, um, up to professional athletes, is probably my favorite. I don't know if I can say that my favorite ergogenic aid or mm-hmm. supplement um, because it works and um, the way that it works, similar to what you were just describing with the um, with the leucine and the blood brain barrier and the fatigue, and um, it works by enabling you to work at 100% yet conserving um, 3 to 5% of your energy. So you're essentially, your, your perception um, of, the, uh, I guess, the energy that you're training at is reduced. And, I mean, who doesn't want to kind of train harder and faster for longer but be um, less stressed and, and less of an energy cost in the process? Mm-hmm. So caffeine, um, for that reason, definitely a go-to. And obviously coffee 
yeah, is a really good way and an enjoyable way to get that um, in. But it is kind of un, not unregulated, but the amount can change. And as you've said, not everybody enjoys caffeine. So a few other um, options that I've found or recommend, um, uh, there's some caffeine strips. So uh, Revy's, which if you are an athlete is also batch tested, which is important to take um, to point out, really convenient little way of getting a controlled amount of caffeine and it comes in 40 or 100 milligrams. So um, 100 milligrams might be too much. That's kind of one to one and a half coffees in terms of caffeine content. Um, so 40 might be enough. Look, pre-workouts are obviously probably where most people's minds are going, but um, for me they're definitely not a must for everybody, to be honest, they're quite a concern in terms of supplements and what we were talking about with cross-contaminations or just additional um, scary, you know, top heavy metals and that kind of thing. Pre-workouts are the number one supplement which tends to have these high amounts of um, cross-contaminated ingredients, some illegal, some performance-enhancing and some just um, potentially health-damaging. So if you are going down the pre-workout route, I would definitely, it doesn't matter who you are, average gym goer, professional athlete, you're definitely wanting something that's tested um, and something preferably Australian made because we really do regulate our supplements a lot more here than the rest of the world. So I um, don't know if I should be saying any brands, but um, look, it's not my, my go-to, but coffee, caffeine, some of those energy strips, um, they're probably my, my top three ways of getting caffeine in before a workout. Definitely. And I do feel like so many people use um, pre-workout, as you mentioned, and I just hate the feeling that it gives you, even just the tingling and the, like, if you take it and you don't go workout, like, you just feel absolutely terrible. Mm. So the best pre-workout that you can take is not actually a pre-workout. It's completely natural, as just mentioned, a couple of sips of coffee and half a banana, or it might be using a caffeine strip and um, a couple of sips of juice or a medjool date or something like that. So a little bit of carb and a little bit of caffeine mm. is the most natural and the best sort of pre-workout that you can do in terms of performance actually not using the pre-workouts that are marketed, um, as you mentioned, for all those reasons. Yeah. And in the pre-workout, the only active ingredient that actually gives you that performance benefit is is the caffeine. So if you can get it in its purest form in in coffee or an energy strip, um, the other things that they put in there, like you've mentioned often, something like beta alanine, which gives you the tingles or that perception that um, oh, getting ready to go and work out, but that is a really um, unpleasant ex- experience or feeling for a lot of people. And um, yeah, who doesn't want to kind of have the most natural, um, purest form of, of of you know a supplement in the form of caffeine? So yes, definitely not a must in the pre- for the pre workouts. Mm. Now you mentioned a couple of times um, making sure things are tested. So for athletes, thousand percent, absolutely. For the general population, what does that mean? So particularly for, um, I have a lot of mothers who might be pregnant or breastfeeding asking me if protein powder is safe or appropriate. Generally, the recommendations are are that pregnant and breastfeeding women don't use protein powders. And it's generally around this, we just don't know what some of those ingredients are, the cross-contamination, the heavy metals and that sort of thing. Um, so what is um, your recommendation in terms of looking for brands that are batch tested um, and that are safe to use? What's the logo that you you tell your athletes or your your clients to look for? Yeah, there's, there's a few. Um, the two main ones are HASTA, um, H-A-S-T-A, which is actually an Australian organisation that tests. Um, so third-party batch testing means it clears that it's free from any prohibited or cross-contaminated illegal substances that um, athletes are not allowed to use. But I guess for anybody, like for me, I'm 
certainly not an elite athlete, but I want to know what I'm putting in my body. So I'm preferring to go for an option which has that um, level of certification or the other one is informed sports. So um, a few well-known brands which, which do that kind of testing in Australia are like your body sciences, um, your true protein. They're probably my two go-tos in that space. Um, you can actually jump online and view both of those websites, the Hastor Informed Sport, and it will have a list. Um, otherwise, if it's got their little logos on it, then you know that it has that extra level of testing, which yeah, I think it's just people want to know what they're putting in their bodies. So look for those logos. Mm. And you mentioned that Australia is, um, you know, we have some of the tightest regulations in the world, even, um, you know, like our regulation around celiac disease and, and gluten contamination is so much stricter than the rest of the world. But even in terms of supplementations and testing it, do you know if there are um, different types of um regulations in places like America or Europe that you can recommend for our international clients listening or would you recommend that they purchase supplements from Australia because we do have you know some of the best testing in the world um, well a lot of those so informed sport is actually um, a lab based out of the UK um, so yeah it's a worldwide um, testing organization I think in America the um, NSF is um, the testing organization over there but majority of those um you know, high-end or not high-end, but like big brands in all of the countries like America and the UK are jumping on board because I guess people are demanding this kind of um, testing, particularly athletes, and then that's a marketing, it's a good marketing tool for them as well to say, hey, these athletes are using it, they trust it, you can trust it too. So, um, but yeah, Informed Sport is a um, international um, program, so anything with that logo worldwide is... um yeah, applicable. Awesome. So good to know. Um, next, I would love to pick your reins around omega-3 supplements. Yeah, omega-3 um, or fish oil supplements is definitely something that um, I recommend. I really, I guess, respect and see the, the benefit of using this in, um, again, not just athletes. I guess that's what I work with. So I guess I keep coming back to that. But again, like we were saying with the nutrition principles, they are relevant for everybody and anybody. But um, in the injury space, there's um, some really cool evidence around how it can um, help minimize, I guess, the loss of, of muscle mass. So if you think if someone has an injury and they're not training, um, depending on the severity of the the injury and if you're totally not able to use like a limb, if you've, say, broken a limb or something, you're going to have a lot of muscle mass there um, that's lost because, A, you're not training to stimulate it um, or stimulate the, the muscle protein synthesis, which is part of that process. Um, but what they found is that having a certain amount of those omega-3 fatty acids can kind of help override that system or ameliorate it so um, we call it um, protein resistance so that's one use of it the other is in I guess any kind of like tendon ligament joint um, injury so they're quite high doses that people need to to consume which I think is probably the biggest myth um, in that space so yes omega-3 fatty acids do have definitely a a place in space in injury and illness but um, it's not just having one you know fish oil supplement which is a a thousand milligrams so it's really looking at the concentration and the makeup of each fish oil supplement and they definitely not all created equally so um when i'm talking about the makeup you're looking at your epa and your dha which are your type of your omega-3 fatty acids and a really interesting exercise if you go to the supermarket and you actually look at the nutritional label and you look at the concentration there is such discrepancy from um fish oil supplement to fish oil supplement so um for me because i'm recommending quite high doses when i am using it up to around that three to four milligrams um of epa um if you actually look at sorry yeah three to four thousand milligrams 
um, you are looking at kind of it's about seven to eight high strength omega three fatty acid um, or fish oil supplements, which if you actually look at just a stock standard um, run of the mill one can be twenty to thirty. Um, fish oil supplements so yeah they're definitely not all created equally yeah Mm. but yeah there's definitely a space and a place in that injury um injury space and then also chronic um kind of injury management as well Mm, super interesting but uh, it's a really important point that that would probably really need you to link in with a specialist sports dietitian and really have that individualized consult rather than you just going and taking you know up to 30 fish oil tablets a day I can't see that I would um, be comfortable recommending that to anyone so um, the great recommendations for Jess but um, definitely definitely looking in with a sports dietitian such as Jess or Chloe or anyone else in your local area to really help you personalize those recommendations and help you find a brand so that you're not having to take you know 30 pills and tablets because fish oil is a ridiculous ridiculously large aren't they oh they are they're big and they can make you feel a bit uh, and depending on what you've eaten and yeah nobody wants to be consuming that and nor does (laughs) most people don't need to yeah please don't think i'm sitting here yet saying that so i guess the the takeaway with all of this is it like see a qualified um advanced or accredited sports dietitian in particular um because they are trained in this space to kind of recommend that but yeah interesting exercise to see that they're real massive discrepancy between all your different um, brands in that space. Mm. And just quickly, what would you recommend? Just because plant-based, um, there's, you know, so many people are reaching out to me saying that they're trialing this, which is amazing. I'm all for plant, um, eating more plants, but I like to really think about it as like plant-focused. I really do think that we have such benefits in omega-3s. But if somebody was plant-based, your recommendations, because, um, you know, obviously they couldn't have fish oils, EPA, DHA, it's the ALA, isn't it, which can be converted into the EPA and DHA. But the rate of conversion just isn't great is it no it's not and it's it's looking at i guess there's some nuts and seeds and um flax seeds and and various types of oils and um, um, supplements in that space um to be perfectly honest i don't actually work with any just um strictly vegan um athletes i do have some like more flexitarian style who are wanting to eat more plant-based but i guess in that space given that they understand like this is a better quality supplement for their body. I guess it's similar to like your iron and your heme and your non-heme and that process of needing your vitamin C to convert it. Like we're just not comparing apples with apples. Mm. So, um, yeah, various nuts and seeds and and kind of um, oils and and supplements in that space which would um, be an equivalent or – better than nothing style situation Mm. yeah Mm -hmm. now you mentioned um injury and illness again and collagen sort of feeds into that one nicely i see it being thrown around all the time in terms of gut health there's really no research that i have seen in terms of collagen and gut health but i know there is some really great research in terms of injury um regarding collagen supplementation isn't there yeah in the injury space collagen is kind of the new exciting um kid on the block that everyone's talking about and using and um and rightfully so like whilst the evidence base isn't um great simply because it is a new emerging area so um a lot of research is going on there is definitely some promising um well conducted studies showing that in the instance of tendon and ligament and um i guess connective tissues um something like an acl um tendon ruptures etc the use of collagen as a supplement um, can really kind of expedite or strengthen um, or um, improve that return to training and return to play. So um, collagen in the injury space, particularly in that connect those connective tissues, um, the type and the timing and the dose are really, really critical 
Um, so we're wanting about 15 to 20 grams um, in conjunction with some vitamin C, which helps with the, the synthesis of the collagen, um, about 30 to 60 minutes before a training session. And the reason for that is they found at about that 60-minute mark, it's uh, at its peak concentration in your bloodstream, which means when you're starting to train and increase blood flow to the infected areas, whether that's training or um, prehab, rehab, etc., that we know that in these really tiny little um, ligaments and tendons which don't have much blood flow, we are at least getting the maximum dose to that area to then help, um, I guess, in that strengthening process. So, yeah, collagen, um, yeah, very, very much an emerging space in that injury space. But everything else, like you said, gut health, beauty, all of that, mm, I'm probably not the person to have those conversations with. But, yeah, what I've read isn't very convincing at all. Yeah, the Jewish that we definitely do need some more um, research and high-level sort of great research studies conducted in terms of um, gut health in particular, but also some of that beauty, topical versus, you know, ingesting it, that sort of thing. But yeah, definitely, as you mentioned, for injury prevention, some really great practical tips there. And I love how you explained how um, the timing and the dose of that um, really matters as well in terms of before training or before um, doing some rehab exercises and that sort of thing. Now, lastly, Jess, I would love to um, hear your experience and expertise around creatine because I know that a lot of males, particularly in the gym, will take it. Um, sometimes a lot of them don't need it, particularly for the large meat eaters, but it could actually be beneficial for maybe some of our plant-based athletes and maybe some of our female-based athletes who really just don't eat a lot of um, animal products and that sort of thing. It is a, a, a type of supplement um, with some really good research behind it, isn't it? Definitely. Um, creatine is well-researched um, in terms of a protocol. I guess a lot of supplements, we don't actually have really um, robust protocols. There's there's evidence and you're kind of pulling like this study and that study, but creatine in terms of a protocol, there's some really tight best practice um, protocols out there in whether the load or the uh, maintenance. So load, you're taking um, more doses, more over a shorter period of time and then going into a maintenance um, which is a smaller amount over kind of a longer duration of time. And, look, the best thing with creatine is you don't need to do both. You can, um, if it's something you're trialling for the first time, you might just go into a maintenance dose. Um, if you're somebody who um, maybe suffers from, um, like, if they've injured themselves and they're coming back and they're wanting to, to increase their training load and they might use it to support that, um, they may look to um, use creatine but just use a maintenance dose because they don't want to have too much water weight, um, which I guess can be a, a side effect for some people. Um, it's actually it's it's actually a good sign because it means your body is actually holding on to the creatine in the muscle, which means it's working. But mm -hmm. for some people that might not be favourable. Um, so from a performance standpoint, yeah, uh, it works in that zero to 15 second energy system by providing you more with that fuel source, which is um, used in that energy system. So if we're talking like sprints or if we're talking um, going to the gym and, and lifting, so you can get some good performance gains there. But it can also be used um, for people that are not eating as much meat as maybe what they used to or at all if they're more plant-based um, or if they're, again, trying to manipulate body composition, lose a bit of weight, they've maybe reduced their intake. It can be used to support their training um, and also just top up that intake in the diet for, uh, for those uh, performance and um, for, for those performance benefits. So, yeah, it's not something to, to um, steer away from at all for females. I'm actually starting to use it a fair bit more with um, athlete and general population clients and the results have been um, 
yeah, the, the it's kind of slow and steady approach, but um, everyone that I've tried it with has been really um, impressed by the results that they're, they're getting from it. So, yeah, it's definitely not a boy-only supplement, ladies. <laughs> um, I guess like we said with everything else, though, maybe consult an advanced or accredited sports dietitian if it's something that you want to think about using just to, to make sure that everything else is in line and, and that the protocol that you're going to use is the best option for you. Wonderful. And I'd just love to be a little bit cheeky and ask in terms of your female athletes, um, the everyday sort of, um, you know, person that just loves to exercise, what would be an example of um, a type of athlete that you've used some creatine supplementation for, the reason for, and then what sort of um, gains do they experience from that? Can I ask that? Yeah, definitely. I am um, at the moment. <laughs> No, no, it's, it, I'm using it a bit with um, with my netball um, athletes at the moment, and in particular mm-hmm. um, those that struggle to to gain um, muscle mass and strength, or those that also struggle in recovery, or those that are um, that have gone more plant based and, and limiting their intake of meat. So I find that um, you know in the the tall, lean style um, individuals who um, just have a body shape which may not be conducive to um, depending on their nutrition, obviously, like those gains in strength and muscle mass, I've found that the creatine supplementation, in addition to obviously making sure the nutrition is right, has um, been able to elicit some really good um, body composition changes but also um, results in the in the gym and, and recovery and, and what they're actually lifting. So, yeah, it's... Um, not cheeky at all. Very happy to answer those questions. <laughs> and obviously bearing in mind, they are working individually with Jess. So she's made sure they've now their four pillars on fueling for the session, distributing their protein, eating all of the color and making sure their hydration is in check as well. As we mentioned, there's really no point in wasting money taking supplementations if you're not going to get the basics and the foundations right first. Um, Jess, that has been so insightful. Everything you've mentioned. Are there any other supplements that come to mind that you'd love to just quickly talk about with our listeners? Or do you think we've listed off the, the important ones that actually have some research and evidence behind them oh I think we've I think we've covered everything off and I know you had a really good chat to Andrew Hall um a few episodes ago about some other kind of performance-based supplements so no I think between all of us we've uh, we've covered everything and anything but food first guys um nail the pillars now your hydration and then maybe consider some of these other little bits and pieces under the guidance of a um, accredited or advanced sports dietitian absolutely one last one does come to mind for me, and I'm just going to be super cheeky and ask you again, just mm-hmm. the simple multivitamin. I see a lot of just everyday athletes or, um, you know, just general exercise people saying, you know, I just take a multivitamin. I'm like, why? Just because. Like they almost think that just taking a multivitamin will make them healthier. So what are your thoughts and feelings around just a standard multivitamin supplement? Are you a general, no, get it from your, get it from your diet? Because I'm a big believer in if you're deficient in something, you should 100% be supplementing it, but that deficiency needs to be confirmed on a blood test from your doctor. Just take a multivitamin isn't going to make you any healthier and give you anything extra because you know we've we know that some of the research says that the more vitamins and minerals you take there is this level where it can actually become harmful so you don't want to overdo it um you know for nothing basically do you have that same feeling it, well there's some stuff there's some vitamins and minerals so like the zinc we were talking about before you only want to use that for an acute period of time because it can actually then in high doses become toxic or you can um there is a threshold so in the multivitamin space i mean yeah food first the bioavailability is just not the same so what that means is the way that our body uptakes it and uses it a lot of the times um i have found that we're just actually um 
feel like we've come back to we a fair bit in these podcasts, but we're um, just, <laughs> we're weighing it out. Um, the times I do use it are people that are hitting their kind of two to five, but maybe still a little bit deficient in something, or they're going through high training loads, or they travel a lot, so there's a lot of stress on the body. So maybe in those situations, um, but yeah, getting your two and your five because the uptake and the absorption isn't um, isn't great in those a lot of those general multivitamins mm, unfortunately a pill just does not replace um, a healthy diet does it it doesn't and it doesn't taste as good and you don't feel as good so i mean there's all those feedback loops there on the reasons why that um, get the food right and it's so much more enjoyable and you're just feeling good from the inside out mm. vitality all right jess <laughs> well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you again and hearing some of the latest evidence around some of our common supplements that people ask me about all of the time so i'm so happy that i had an expert on to chat all about it can you please tell our listeners jess where they can find you on social media can they send you an email and do you have a website for them to book in some consultations if they think jess is an absolute incredible sports dietitian <laughs> which you 100 are and they would like to come and see you whether or not they're an athlete or whether or not they're just a um, general human looking to optimize their diet and training a little bit more yes well we love anybody looking to optimize anything that's the uh, that's the target market and the people i uh, i vibe with i guess but mm. yeah instagram um jess underscore spendlove underscore dietitian or health underscore performance underscore collective um otherwise email is jess at health and performance collective.com or website um my name jessica spendlove.com or healthandperformancecollective.com. So any or all of them, um, you can find me at all of those places. Awesome. And if you guys have any more questions about supplementation or anything that we talked about in terms of energy levels and illness, please reach out to Jess, send her an email. She's on social media quite frequently, so that might be the easiest place to find her. Um, and she will happily answer your questions because she's an absolute expert in this area. And she's also very friendly and approachable as well. So any further questions, guys, go and check out Jess on her social media platforms, Jess Spenlove Dietitian or Health and Performance Collective. And we'll link those handles in the show notes as well. Thank you again, Jess, so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for having me, Leanne. And we will catch you guys in the next podcast next week.